Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. And we're back with an all-new episode of Keep It. I'm obviously Ira Madison III. I'm, thankfully, Louis Vertel. And I'm mercilessly Aida Osman. <laughs> Cute. <laughs> I like this adverb technique. Let's mm-hmm. do it again. Every time? Yeah. I was just copying Nick Lachey in Love is Blind. Oh, oh I, which wow. I still haven't watched, so you have to explain that to me. He introduced himself as, I'm obviously Nick Lachey on the show. I heard a conspiracy theory that the hosts of that show, which are Nick Lachey and Vanessa Lachey, were added after the fact. Danny that Pel- makes sense. Danny Pellegrino. It was Danny Pellegrino. Fo- yes. fostering this on <laughs> but that's what they Instagram, did with- mostly because he's bored, but also... I would buy it yeah. just because they don't do anything. That's what they did with Michelle Bateau on The Circle, too. Like, they filmed the whole show, and then they gave her all the videos, and were like, okay, now host it. Well, I mean, I didn't think she was actually locked up in The Circle herself, <laughs> watching their every move. Aida. <laughs> Come on now. Yep. That's why it was, like, mediocre. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, but no, the finale happens, and it was everything you've ever wanted. You say that about most shows, though, and again, you were wrong about The Circle, and so was Aida. Famously, oh, wow. I grilled you about that. Well, you think we were wrong. Right. Millions of other people who enjoyed it think we were right. Okay. So. What a Trumpian response. Very good. <laughs> well, I'll say that the white person on the panel is correct about <laughs> The Circle. You won't like Love is Blind either. Don't watch it. Thank you. Yeah, Thank don't you. watch it. I wish more people could, like, I didn't ask... say that you would enjoy it. I say it's a very good show. Yeah, There's I like a lot it. of things I enjoy that I don't think you would like. I mean, I just wish more people would understand where I'm coming from. Your and taste palette, yes. yes. For you, it's too saccharine. Don't watch it. You Love won't like it. it. Oh, saccharine. You are exactly right. That is yes. what I don't want. Go. For <laughs> you, I would not recommend most songs that came out after 1984. <laughs> sure. Yeah. See? The last good song, I believe, was All Through the Night by Cindy Lauper. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, there, there's that divide here. Gotcha. All Love right. is Blind, the finale, was... Wild. Okay. It gave everything you needed from all of these characters. It basically just started out the gate and kept going. So I, I want to ask you: Is love blind? Did they get to the end? Did they find their? Happiness? There's one couple, Lauren and Cameron, the interracial couple, yeah, who seem to really do love each other, and that was enjoyable. Mm-hmm. The rest of the people. So the conceit of the finale is everyone is together at the altar and they have to say I do or I don't and we just kick it off with someone saying I don't and there's a couple other I don'ts in the finale too painful well I'm glad I only made it to episode two because that was so Lauren and Cameron heavy that was like episode one and two was only about them it yeah felt like I mean they're the stars yeah the okay. Okay. yeah there's some other stars but are they still together other for crazy reasons sorry spoiler alert but they are still together if you follow them on I social media. I want to go media. find them online. No, wait, to jump to reality TV that actually potentially could unite all of us, <laughs> what did you think of Drag Race? 
I thought the Drag Race premiere was amazing. Pretty lit, I have to say. I mean, I was pretty exhausted with Drag Race after last year, which it always feels like you get like nine months of it in a row, thanks to All Stars and the normal season. And they put it on at that damn bar, and I was very much into it. And Nicki Minaj, I have to say, every note of her judging was just rad as hell. She, I mean, again, it's so easy for me, arguably too easy for me, to forgive people who piss me off when they are hilarious also. Yes. Well, I thought that she was amazing, too. I thought that the premiere, the concept of going back to season six and splitting up the queens, giving us a half last week, and we're going to get the other half this week, was a good way to sort of introduce yourself to people instead of feeling like there's cannon fodder when it premieres. Right. Obviously, they'll only focus on the major people anyway, and then you always start a reality show, and you're like, who are these three people over here? And then halfway through the season, you're like, oh, now you have camera time. Right, yeah. Uh, but I will say that I would be pissed if I were some of the other girls who did not get Nicki Minaj as a judge oh, in yeah. the premiere, mm-hmm. right? Do we know who they're going to get? Yeah, in the preview, they show they get Sandy Newton and Robin. <laughs> Okay, Robin, fine. But Robin, yeah. Together, they're fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but Ro- Ro- Robin will just like nod and say, hello. Right. Uh, it reminds me of when 30 Rock split up the live episodes that one night when they did one for the East Coast, one for the West Coast. The and the West East Coast. Coast got Paul McCartney as, mm-hmm. a, as a surprise cameo, and the West Coast got Kim Kardashian. The contempt oh, we were wow. treated with. <laughs> That's a war crime. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's so messed up. Um, but I was going to say about Drag Race, one thing I didn't expect from Nicki Minaj was that as the queens were performing, and you know, it's like lip sync performances, the song they get is like a little hokey. The look on her face throughout it was so the choir director who wants you to do your best. <laughs> she was so like uh, like nodding along, like, okay, maybe you're going to get it. She's, you're not at a solo yet, but maybe one day <laughs> yeah. you'll get one. It was By really... senior year, I promise. <laughs> yes, right. It, it was cool to see her like benevolence. Well, also during the lip sync, they did Starships, and she famously hates that song. I think it's very fair for artists to hate their like first six singles. Yes, I, she hates that other song. She hates the... Annie Lennox sampling uh, Your Love. I also hate that song. So. Yeah. I don't like Pink Friday, so. Wow. The album? Yeah. Doesn't shock me. Do you like that album? Pink Friday's I a very good album. album. Name five songs that were great off it. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, this is unfair. Moment for Life. Yeah. Uh, there is Blazin' with Kanye West. There is Roman's Revenge. Did you just bring up Roman's Revenge? I'm sorry. Just because Eminem says... You call that a standout track? Just because Eminem says faggot on it doesn't mean it's a bad song. (laughs) Oh, okay. I didn't know. Wait, when does he say that in the song? In his second verse. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, listen. Well, I love Starships. I've re-listened to it recently, and I was like... Starships is also a bop. Jump in my hoop-de-hoop-de-hoop. I own that. Did we already already have Super Bass on Drag Race? Because that would be a, I, I be a more novel ha- I think we might have had, but yeah. Super Bass is a great song, too. Right. No, that song I enjoy, yes. Yeah. But I love I'm... the Taylor Swift version she did on that radio show that one time. Fly <laughs> is a great song, too. This is more than five songs, Lewis. All right. I think it's just not too to your taste. Too bad there are 26 tracks. I think it's just not to your taste. Okay. I think it's just not to your liking, Louis Vitale. And I think that just because something isn't to your liking doesn't necessarily mean that it's awful. Again, when do we get you into a class where we teach you what comedy is? <laughs> when do we get you into a class where we teach you that music you don't like isn't bad? Okay. We'll also address that later when we talk about Stupid Love, the new Gaga <laughs> single on today's episode. And we will also be doing a post-mortem on the Pete Buttigieg campaign and what it means for LGBTQ 
plus history. Oh, I'm just going to speak my Slate.com think piece into the microphone. (laughs) It should be great. No stopping. Well, you know. uh, (laughs) We are also very excited to be joined by Annie Murphy from Schitt's Creek today. New legend. Very exciting. Pop TV's legend of tomorrow. Uh, There we are. Yeah. (laughs) 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 We'll be right back. Pete Buttigieg's rise from small-town mayor to top-tier candidate in the Democratic primaries ended Sunday night when he announced his exit from the race. He gained momentum after a big win from the Iowa caucus, but saw his polling numbers and campaign funds continue to dwindle afterward. He suspended his campaign after a poor performance with voters of color in South Carolina, and his decision comes just before the biggest voting day of the primary, Super Tuesday, which is today. The day we're recording. That's happy, right. Happy Super Tuesday. So we will have no results of Super Tuesday. However, we know the result of Pete Buttigieg's campaign. Sure. Mm-hmm. Well. That's news we can deliver. It's over. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sorry, Mayor Pete. Whether you love or hate it, the historic nature of his candidacy is notable to the people who will not stop saying that it was historic. <laughs> so let's get into... The campaign, how we're feeling about it. I'm going to start with the white gay man on the panel. Uh huh. Aida. This is yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, Lewis. Your uh, king. <laughs> why don't you go ahead? Well, my feeling about Pete Buttigieg is this. Okay, so I feel personally like on Twitter, I've been not inundated, but I've seen a lot of people talking about. Well, no matter what you think of him, you can't deny that he had a historic candidacy, etc. When I think actually the most interesting thing about Pete Buttigieg doesn't have to do with him running for president. I think what's most notable about him to me is that he is kind of a a new avatar of celebrity, which is just middle of America gay man. I mean, growing up, I I didn't know what that looked like. I had no sense of what gay adulthood was. So to see somebody who's just like chilling out in some random place like Indiana with his husband who can't stop listening to the 1776 soundtrack. I mean, <laughs> it's just a version of a life I would not have seen growing up. One you could have had if you'd stayed in Chicago. I yeah, know. And God. learned how to repress, repress, repress. I, I mean, truly. And then, yes. yes. I, I look at Pete Buttigieg's haircut, and I think if I were in the Midwest, I would still have that haircut. Mm-hmm. So it's true. It's sliding doors, if you will. <laughs> Which is interesting, because both of us being... You know, Midwest gay. You being from the Midwest, Midwest too. Gay as well. You know, mm-hmm. it's I experience that when I go home for Christmas. You see some of those, or when you go yeah. to Chicago, you see the whole other life. Precisely. But even then, it's not as small town as like South Bend. Yeah. yeah right. You know? Right. But I guess my feeling is, we all knew at some point a queer person would be running for president and would catch a little bit of fire. Mm-hmm. Maybe we thought it would have been in ten years or twenty years. I think a lot of us are surprised to have seen someone rise so meteorically now. That said, I also think uh, queer people guessed that the first presidential candidate who's queer would end up running a little bit moderate to appeal to most voters. Mm -hmm. So in a way, it is a historic candidacy, but also a historic candidacy I saw coming. Yeah. My hang up with Pete is that I know he's the first gay candidate to win the Iowa caucus. Like That is, I think, a historic moment, but I don't care. What I care about is that... My opinion for him is loaded in two different ways. Like, I understand that to run as a gay candidate, he had to run moderate, like you were saying. And also that he represents a class of people that I don't think get to see themselves represented as readily as someone like me right now, who I feel like there's a lot of representation growing. However, 
it's still disappointing. Like, he's not the gay candidate that I would have wanted to be the first gay candidate to win. Mm. But I also understand that that's weighted. Like, that's loaded with he has to answer to other people. However, I feel like Pete deliberately shut out the progressive left and the youth gay vote. You know what I mean? Here's the thing that I will say, sort of piggybacking off of that. We always have this conversation about identity politics, right? And you know how sort of white people and conservative people sort of use that phrase as a loaded phrase to talk about, you know, minority voters, um, you know. Um, all of people, women. You know, yes. all of women, you know, like they're voting with their identity. But there's something to be said about that phrase in the wake of Pete suspending his campaign that most of the posts I've seen have been from white gay men writing comments like, the one you mentioned before, like, no matter how you feel about him, like, this was historic. Or, like, you know, it was great seeing him up there with his husband and how that's going to make, you know, some, like, scared little kid who's in the closet right now feel. And me, personally, that's not why I'm voting for a president. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of people try and ascribe that to why people wanted to vote for Elizabeth Warren or vote for Hillary Clinton or vote for Barack Obama. And I was like, no, they were really fucking competent, <laughs> you know? And like, uh, I don't think you can compare Pete's record with Warren's or with Obama's or even with Clinton's, you know? It's like there are reasons to vote for them besides who they were as an identity. And I just feel like if you are telling me that the reason I should care about this person's presidential candidacy is because the fact of seeing them on stage will make some like 12 year old kid feel better about being gay is I think one a little naive uh -huh. too just because um the era we're in now there are a lot of avenues for white gay men to see themselves you know and I think that him on the presidential stage sure that will mean something, maybe. In the future, we still sort of have to see where that goes, but it still feels a little basic and reductive to mm -hmm. sort of equate. That's why he's historic. You know what I think is interesting also is Joe Biden in accepting the endorsement of Amy Klobuchar and Beto O'Rourke and Pete Buttigieg. He said about Pete Buttigieg, I don't think I've ever said this before, but he reminds me of my son, Bo. And weirdly, he thought that was a novel statement. And to me, Pete's entire appeal is... That's the kind of gay person I would be related to. Yeah. In a way, it was the kind of paternalistic thinking you're being empathetic when in fact you're just congratulating yourself mm -hmm. kind of vibe that got him a lot of attention and a lot of praise really is that he feels like a, a certain brand of gay that is appropriate for the stage and appropriate in context with those other people. And also feels like a certain brand of gay that knows that they can get by in certain circles and receive the amount of praise that is necessary for them to advance without taking a look at the entire picture. The entire race, everyone has been saying, Pete does not have support from voters of color, particularly black voters, right. particularly if you are running as a Democratic candidate. That is something you need. There was no change from when we first mentioned that to when he dropped out. So a lot of it just felt like he was ignoring that fact, you know, and it's like, I'm just going to skip my way to the presidency without having to appeal to any black people whatsoever. Mm -hmm. uh, and then when he had to drop out because he didn't win any black votes in mm -hmm. South Carolina, it was like, well, what the fuck did you think was going to happen? Mm -hmm. And why were you not listening to people 
not just straight black people, queer people of color who were telling you that they didn't feel like he actually had any interest in their voting issues. I read through when when Pete was still running his Douglas plan, that comprehensive list of initiatives that he was going to use to help grow the economic wealth of black people. I'm sure he pinned that like the 95 theses on everyone's door <laughs> yeah, in South yeah. Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> Pete came a knocking. But then I went to go look up videos of him in South Bend and I saw a lot of videos of people protesting him and Mm -hmm. demanding that he speak on black issues and say that black lives matter and you see this man shaken up like absolutely doesn't really know what to say will listen to his constituents but is having a hard time being able Mm -hmm. to craft emotion um, an emotional and well thought out response to black issues in response to seeing people like even Beto before he dropped out you Mm -hmm. know seeing like a war and even seeing Klobuchar um other candidates talk eloquently about issues that matter to black voters. It yeah. was always just sort of a stark nothing when we asked Pete about them, right? And there were the videos of people protesting him. And I feel like, you know, I was a person who was ready to support him when he first came out, you know, because it maybe was that identity politics thing. It was, you know, like, here's a gay man running for president. Uh, he's from the Midwest. I'm from the Midwest. I was like, we were ready to see sort of what he had to offer. But the more that we continued to see from South Bend and from the black community there um, and just how he was being responded to throughout the United States, it just seemed like a dead end. Yeah. I will say that there was a moment upon me realizing who he was or learning who he was, you know, and seeing a guy who clearly has spent a lot of time learning almanac facts and <laughs> yeah. uh, reading Snapple caps and storing it all for later so he can impress you. It spoke to me so initially. You? Yeah, yes, I was going to yes. say. Who? <laughs> but then you have that moment where you realize, oh, this is, uh, you know. A party a, trick. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. His, <laughs> right. yeah. Right. My my entire personality, Lewis, a Lewis party trick. Lewis party trick for tell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, Lewis does it for the love of the game. Pete's feigned. Pete's feigned. But, <laughs> but here's also something that I didn't like about Pete, and it felt everything about his his uh, racial initiatives felt so stilted and ham-fisted because remember when he put a bunch of his campaign staffers put a bunch of black women in the front row after he won the Iowa caucus mm-hmm. and then also on top of that he did that the classic sit down with Al Sharpton at Sylvia's the Harlem restaurant and then after that there was like no response to engaging with his black constituents or the black people who could potentially vote for him it's like it felt so pandery it's always pandering mm-hmm. to me you know the whole running for president as a Democrat when you're a white person, it always feels pandering to me. There's always going to be a shot of a white person in a black church. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like... Eating fried chicken it's, it's, while Al Sharpton eats toast. It's like, y'all don't, y'all don't go to that damn church. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even go to that damn church. <laughs> Chill out. Um, I will say that there are other critiques of Pete that I don't completely agree with. You know, obviously there were a lot of the critiques about how he just sort of felt like the wrong kind of gay, you know, and like... Right, that's not what I'm saying. Yeah, no. you know, and, and I think that it is important to get across to people like that is never anything that we have critiqued about him. You know, it's like he is a very familiar type of gay to me. We should have seen him coming. Uh, (laughs) You know, there was nothing about him that felt like, oh, he felt ashamed of being gay. You know, like even that quote where he said, like, when he was young, if he could have taken a pill, 
uh, and made himself less gay, uh, he would have done it. It's like, who who wouldn't have said that exactly. when they were a teenager? No, I thought there was a lot of bad faith sharing of that clip being like, oh, here's like a self-hating person. When in fact, it was in the context of, again, you grow up in a place where you don't know what gay is. It's Everybody else treats it like a disease. You know, mm-hmm. why wouldn't you want to get rid of it? You mean social media already disliking someone and so they use an innocuous quote of theirs <laughs> to inform why they don't like that person? Uh, <laughs> are you... St- Picking me out specifically for some reason? No, I'm just talking about people in general. <laughs> oh, I see. Uh, it's, I was it's, it's, the, it's the trend of if you already don't like someone, like whatever they say will inform the reason why you do not like them, whether or not it actually is a reason to dislike them. And we enjoy that clip of Tyra Banks saying, get the fag off the TV. I don't want to see that, <laughs> which is exactly that. Right. She get, was actually doing a very good thing, and get, we're using it in the wrong context. Get the fag off the ballot. I'm not voting for that, <laughs> is what Tyra Banks was saying. <laughs> uh... There were a lot of bad faith things that Pete had to deal with, unfortunately. But also, there are a lot of bad faith arguments that I feel like so many candidates have had to deal with. Women candidates have to deal with them all the time. Barack dealt with them all the time as a black candidate. Kamala definitely dealt with them, you know? And it's um, unfortunate, but it, it wasn't novel. And obviously, you know, like, in the future, we would love a more progressive gay candidate, you know? And I think... Uh, that is something that maybe the Pete candidacy will lead towards. So if anything, that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, obviously, like Barack won, and he was not the first black person to run for president. You know, you had had um, Carol Mosley Braun. Yeah, Shirley Chisholm. You know, you'd had Jesse Chesson before. And even talking about gay candidates, uh, there was a play that went out last year that Tina Landown, Terrell Alvin McCraney wrote um, called Miss Black for President, which was about a drag queen in Chicago in the 90s who ran for president on the campaign like Lick Bush 92, (laughs) you know? And it was really a candidacy not trying to win, you know? But it was to bring more attention to queer rights and advocacy in 92 in Chicago, in that community, you know? And I think that if you just think about something like that, historically, people who have run for president in that sort of vein have felt like they've had some sort of urgency to them, you know? It's like they are running because they really want to help our community. And I think that hearing someone like Warren or Klobuchar or Kamala talking about misogyny and how that affects America and hearing um, Obama talk about racism, hearing Sanders, you know, talk about um, the progressive vote, uh, I just think that us... As marginalized people want candidates who speak urgently to things that affect us. And it's great that Pete was a queer candidate who got that far, but nothing about him really spoke urgently to the communities that he needed to turn out for him. Right. Is what I will say. He was a gay guy, and I didn't know that gay guys could look like Office Max employees. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) So come on, let's celebrate that. His speech when he was leaving really did warm my heart, and also the Chaston's speech. Chaston's speech was lovely. He's very affable. I'm sure that he will be hosting a daytime talk show in due time. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) No worries. When I listened to Chaston's speech, it really humanized Pete because the way Pete speaks, I was having a hard time connecting with him, which I also think was a fatal flaw for Pete. Is that people were struggling to understand like where's the pathos with him? How do where do you see yourself? Yes, I always thought that Chaston humanized him, and you know, like I said. You know, I 
think they are lovely people to talk to. Mm-hmm. You know, I have met both of them before. Um, unfortunately, at some point throughout the last year, you know, I realized that our voting issues didn't align. And, you know, he wasn't really the candidate for my particular community and what I care about in the election. And so... See, for me, it was realizing he definitely doesn't listen to female vocalists. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think What'd you ask him? I think, I think he used Lizzo at a campaign thing, and I'm like, I cannot picture you listening to Lizzo. This is a lie. 100%. There was also some other joke online, too, about like some sort of movie or like things that you would do with Chester, and it was just always like, so you don't watch movies. Yeah. But, <laughs> mm-hmm. You've never seen an episode of reality TV. You should be able to yeah. quote somebody from Paris is Burning. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's very quotable. It's not hard to remember. It's like, remember when he was talking about how well-read he was and it was Ulysses? Mm-hmm. And I was mm-hmm. like, baby, nobody who reads is busy reading Ulysses. <laughs> okay, like, I think Lewis and I were recently roped into a gay book club. Yeah. How was that? Uh, we haven't actually had it yet. Uh, <laughs> but no one in that club is going to be talking about Ulysses. I, they you know? better not be. I guess we're all be. Not there. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, if your joy of reading is this really dense James Joyce novel, yeah. I'm like, I don't think we're going to have anything to talk about, baby. Right. That said, I do root for gays who seem like Geography Bee champions. So again, I'm always riding a line with Pete a little bit. Well, you know what? Bring back Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego, and then Pete can just run around putting that marker <laughs> on different countries, yeah. and he can win. Yeah. <laughs> Bragging you know where Nigeria is, is yes. that brand. Yeah. Are we sure he wasn't one of the kids on Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego? He seems exactly right for that. <laughs> I want to dig up that tape. He's the kid. He tracked down the Contessa, and I know it. He's the kid who did know where all the countries in Africa were. Right, yes. Well, actually, that's probably the one he missed. <laughs> but he knew all of the ones in Europe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> If anybody can find that footage, please, please, please. Dig it up. I would like to see it. (laughs) Give me the ocular proof. Shakespeare. Othello. That's what I read. Okay, okay. (laughs) That might be even worse than Pete. Fuck you, I (laughs) (laughs) All right, when we're back, we'll be joined by Annie Murphy from Schitt's Creek. Keep It is brought to you by Hinge. Hinge is the dating app designed to be deleted. If you're really good at it, that is. I've actually met several really good friends through Hinge. I've used it, I can't believe this, over a decade now. Woof, what a life I've had. Well, you know what they've added within a decade of us being on Hinge is their new LGBTQIA plus prompts, which are designed to help queer daters better connect based on similarities, interests, and compatibility. Hinge Prompts helps you show off your full personality and connect with someone who appreciates you. Plus, these prompts were created in collaboration with GLAAD, so they are by the people, for the people. Some of the prompts are, the first time I knew I was gay was, mm, I was literally in the act of being gay, like hooking up with somebody when I admitted it. (laughs) Denial is strong and hard in the Catholic Midwest. Mine was Tom Cruise's Vanity Fair cover, the shirtless one. You just turned to an imaginary camera and said, I'm gay. Yeah. Or broke the fourth wall. <laughs> You're like Fleabag. Other prompts include, I feel proudest of who I am when. It feels affirming when others, blank. I connect to my community by. 
I wish I could tell the younger version of myself. I'm going to say whenever I watch that in a drag race semifinal, when they're like, if I could talk to my younger self, I would say, I would be like, girl, get tighter clothes. I mean, what's going on with what you're wearing? You look like you're in the X Games. Other prompts include my chosen family is the best at and gender euphoria looks like. Download Hinge and show off your full self using their LGBTQIA plus prompts today. Then find someone worth deleting the app for. And we are back. And we're delighted to have Annie Murphy here. Hi, guys. So Hi. It's better than having Dan. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. We, we've had him on before and then we banned him. Oh, gosh. This is just excellent news for me. <laughs> so early in the morning. Yeah. See, right. he's nice, but you're nice and cool. Yeah. <gasps> I hope he's listening. I hope he's listening right this minute. <laughs> I am so excited for you and for Schitt's Creek in general. I mean, Thank it you. feels like it has really blown up. Even since Dan was here, you know, it's like you've been nominated for so many things and like it's gotten this whole second life in the U.S. Yeah. And, you know, you don't have to watch it on pop TV. If, if, <laughs> if, if you, you don't, don't want have to. it, <laughs> yeah. um, I, I've watched a few on pop TV, but, you know, it's hard to find. It, it kind of is. And we're, I mean, pop's been so awesome, but we're lucky that Netflix kind of swooped in and yeah. and did its thing with the show. Yeah, I feel like I discovered it like so many other people just sort of like watching it in a marathon at someone's home. Like I've been to many yeah. homes in Los Angeles where people just have Shit's Creek on. I don't think there's ever been a person alive who has watched a single episode of Shit's Creek. Like you watch zero or seven in a row. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I think you're absolutely right about that. It's a very bingeable experience. Do you remember the minute it changed from it was on Pop TV and then eventually it got to Netflix? And did you feel like an entire world had opened up to you? Basically, like suddenly, whatever you couldn't live your life, etc. Oh, we still were very much able to live our lives because okay, we were in Canada. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, when Netflix added the show, it was within a few days that we really started noticing social media kind of going a bit bonkers for it. And it really is a show that people are still finding for them. And, you know, it's it's their show that they're sharing with people. But then Netflix was like, oh, actually, we are sharing it with you. <laughs> um, but it still feels like this little thing because we were so isolated in Canada and so to now come to the States and have people know it and quote it and go so bonkers for it is it's wild it really is we knew it was going to be something really special because Eugene and Catherine were attached to it right out of the gates and everything they do is golden but I don't think any of us really realized where it was going to get what is it like just being in Canada where you're filming and like so people don't interact with you like on the street are they just sort of like over you at this point um, yeah I it's uh people don't feel like bombarding you on the street as much not that we get bombarded it's always people just kind of shouting from across the street like we love you or like you David or whatever <laughs> but yeah I think people in Toronto especially are like eh. you know they've seen the posters everywhere and they've watched the show and but that was years ago, and now, and that was way before America caught on. So there, yeah, it's kind of old news, I think. Mm -hmm. yeah. I feel like if I asked people who are exactly my demographic and Irish demographic, that is like early thirties, slightly urbane. I think <laughs> Shit's Creek would be the number one show they all watch. Does it feel like you've suddenly like conquered a certain demographic? Like, do you meet people who are your age and they definitely know who you are, almost certainly? Now that you say that, I feel like it's a weird range. Like the demographic isn't just one specific one because 
there are grandmas tweeting us about the show. Oh, yeah, and, and you can you definitely know. watch with your family, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. people, what I love about it is that people can sit down as a family and all get bits and pieces out of the show and start conversations. And that's been so, one of the most important, important and wonderful experiences I've had so far on the show is not only, first of all, not only do I have a job, (laughs) I have a job that I love doing, but I have a job that's kind of impacted the lives of many people in a way that's just, it's more heightened than just entertainment. Like people have found the courage to come out to their families. Um, You know, these grandmothers have been able to accept their grandkids that have come out because of watching the show. People have been going through chemo or, you know, various illnesses or losing a family member and they've been able to kind of turn to the show for some kind of happiness. And that has been kind of the most extraordinary part of this whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, it's really nice that you can sort of binge a show that's not Friends. (laughs) (laughs) Although I have been doing that kind of recently. Yeah. With the reboot coming? Yeah. I don't think it's going to be a reboot. I literally think they're all going to be sitting in Central Park and someone's going to say, remember when Joey wore all those clothes? And then there'll be a clip, and everyone will laugh. Oh, you, like an old like Dick Clark bloopers type they'll, special? They'll probably just re-air the code. Remember Ross and those show. leather pants? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's, yeah, yeah, just all, and they've all gained an extraordinary amount of weight. For five minutes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're all smoking cigarettes somehow. <laughs> Obviously, when people came into Schitt's Creek, they knew Catherine, they knew Eugene. And then... I feel like people, to me, are mostly talking about your character now. How self-conscious were you ever about standing out next to Legends? About having to establish a character who is zany in certain ways, you know, crazy, next to Catherine, who is doing some of the cra- her craziest work. Her craziest work. <laughs> you know? And that's saying something. Right, yeah. yeah. I think I've seen all of it. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I, so I was so excited to get the job in the first place, that I kind of forgot that I would have to be working alongside Catherine and, and Eugene until literally the night before we started shooting, which was the most terror-ridden night of my entire life because I was like, oh, my God, now this is happening. <laughs> so I was so terrified. I actually tried to come up with an excuse as to why I couldn't go into work that day. Brain didn't work, didn't help me out. It was like, mm, a doctor's appointment. I was like, nope, can't say that. Um, so I went in and we did, and the good thing is, is that Dan, even though he was show running and writing, he was, I'd say, less experienced acting than I was. So we were both really green going into it and really nervous going into it. So we kind of had each other's like shuddering corpses to cling to in those first few days of getting our, our bearings. But the thing about Catherine in particular is that she's so excited to just work and have fun and try things out and experiment that it never felt like we were the new kids because we were just all going for it together. I was absolutely terrified, but that kind of, that faded pretty quickly. Yeah. Is there any sort of like fun thing you feel like you've learned from her from being on set? Oh gosh. Yeah. I mean, she's such a staunch professional. Like she is, she is so, so professional However, she is perpetually having fun. She's con- like she will do a take beautifully, beautifully comedically and nail every beat and then do it again perfectly but completely differently. She's always trying new things and and treating people in front or behind the camera with such respect and kindness and inclusivity. She's just a really good dude, all in all. And I, I, I hope I uh, have absorbed through osmosis some of 
her being because she's incredible. Now, famously, you have said your character is inspired somewhat by like reality personalities. <laughs> is there a particular like clip of a celebrity or reality personality where just watching it for two seconds would put you immediately in character? Like it just zaps you into form. There were two big things about the character that I took away from from these these ladies. And one of them was like, you know, talking like this, which is the laziest, laziest way on earth you could possibly speak because you basically just like give up. <laughs> um, Your accent is so, giving up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Lazy and giving up. Um, but the other thing, which we've all seen this photo in, in magazines everywhere, like paparazzi photos of these socialites out on the on like Rodeo Drive going for a shop and they have their their bags hung over their wrist with their palm facing up and they're just kind of prancing down the street. Mm -hmm. You've seen that everywhere. And so one night when I was doing my research, as an actor does, sure. um, I was like, what if there was no handbag and I flipped the wrist over and then added another wrist into the mix? And so I ended up with, if you've seen the show, yeah. Yeah. what we've landed on is a T-Rex playing a piano in an old-timey saloon. Mm. Um <laughs> I had wondered how, like, sort of you and Dan got to your characters, just sort of <laughs> having your hands like that, because it is very funny. It's a lot, again, lazy as heck. <laughs> uh, you don't need to do anything. And if you're an actor who doesn't know much about acting, like myself, and you're like, what do I do with my hands? You just, that's where you go. Yeah. Um, but I think that Dan and I have actually stolen. I don't think he'd admit to it. I'd admit to it. I stole from him. He would say he came up with everything by himself. I started stealing some of his facial expressions, and I think he started stealing some of my T-Rex arm situation. Well, you do feel like brother and sister on the show. Well, that's it. And, yeah. and you know, brothers and sisters share the ways that they speak and the way that they move their face and the way that they flail their arms around sometimes, I think. Um, <laughs> I don't have any siblings. But, yeah, so it was nice that we could kind of, like, uh, mix and match and take take from each other. Steal. Steal. Steal from each other. <laughs> it, I think also I, I enjoy watching you all do press together just be, like uh, uh, the dynamic that you must have on set when you're creating where it's like adventurous but like professional like it, it comes across so well have you had uh particular favorite experiences just from you know traveling together from like promoting the show together five years ago before i got the show things were so bleak and miserable and i was kind of at the end of my rope and cut to you know now where i'm traveling the levees travel in style, by the way. So I'm traveling <laughs> with the levees and drinking white wine backstage at a sold-out show and then jumping on a jet to go to the next show. Like, it's just, it's truly, absolutely surreal to me to be living this. And then to be living this with my idols, Catherine and Eugene in particular. It's really, really nuts. I'm covered with bruises from pinching myself <laughs> so much. Right. One of the really interesting things is that you all do live, like, Shit's Creek shows. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that seems like something like we do as a podcast. Um, and so many other um, shows sort of do that. But it seems sort of, like, new and interesting for a sitcom to be doing this. So what was that like? What was the conception of we're going to sort of take Shit's Creek on the road? Uh, well, Dan was kind of the mastermind behind that. And when I heard about it, I was like, we're going to be performing the show. Like, how is this going to work? We're going to actually be doing the show live. And he was like, no, hun. No, we're just going to be doing it. It's going to be. It's, so it's like a Q&A kind of thing. It's uh, Dan curates a Q&A with the whole cast. And then 
Um, there are audience questions. There are blooper reels. There are, you know, um, Noah sings a song. Mm. But it's it's so much fun. And we didn't, as I said, we, we were so kind of isolated in, in Toronto for such a long period of time. We didn't really realize to the extent to which the show had, had blown up. And so we were we started selling out shows within minutes of tickets going on sale and the fans were so rabid in the best way possible and had watched knew the show better than any of us on stage which was deeply humiliating because there's like a <laughs> there's a game with the audience and we got schooled every single night but people were dressing like doing cosplay and signs and screams and people getting engaged at the shows and like it was it was just it's been so cool to have that feedback kind of firsthand. I think what's interesting about the fandom of, of this show is it feels like the fandom of a podcast, which is people connect not just in this case with the characters on screen, but like it really feels like they want to connect with the actors themselves. Do you feel like people actually get to know you watching the show? Like, do you feel like people actually have an accurate sense of who you are as a person, even though you're playing a, a person who is, by the way, not like you at all? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for saying that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the show allows us all to be pretty candid. Even though it's a similar show every night, I go full-blown into razzing Dan territory, which is one of my very, very favorite things to do. I think we are able to show our individual personalities in the live show. Much, yeah. Yeah, much more than in any other, like, live context, like interviews or whatever, because those go by so quickly. Yeah, if, right. If you're thinking of a show that you watch, uh, whether it's current or, like, past, like, what is the one show you probably would have been in the live audience for? The Office has been one of my just comfort shows for such mm-hmm. a long time. But recently, I think if Pen15 did a live tour, mm-hmm. I would be just front and center the entire the, I would probably follow them from show to show. What a brilliant idea, by the way. They yeah. should do that. They've no, I mean, show. even thinking about, like, The Office, too, you know, I feel like the, now shows are sort of built fandom through, like, a Netflix or a Hulu. People rewatch Office, Friends, like How I Met Your Mother. Yeah. Um, but the concept of, like, if they went on tour is so interesting to me. I feel right. like you could build a fan base for so many What about you guys? Now. What shows for you? Oh, God. Well, what would you do? Like a Dynasty or something? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Buffy, you know, it's still uh-huh. my favorite TV show. I would probably do something like that, especially yeah. in the, like, 90s and 2000s. I would have been there. Yeah. Yeah, I've yeah. been to Days of Our Lives events. Oh. So. No, no one's surprised about that. Uh, <laughs> I think I would probably be Daria Cult. I'm still, mm-hmm. that oh, was yeah. very formative for me. The, yeah. Well, you know they don't look like they're cartoons. No, not at all. And there's only like four voice actors on yeah. that show. Yeah. yeah. You'd, you'd walk in and be like, who are these people? Yeah, right. <laughs> Where's Daria? <laughs> Where's Trent? <laughs> um, also, you have become sort of like a pop star. Because oh, of, go on. Because of the, well, because of the song A Little Bit of Alexis, you know, it's like... Which really you, do, the, after like the 50th listen, the, the lyrics are still hilarious. They, I really do think so. They're hilarious. And, and they and get like, stuck in there, too, which I, I apologize for. I'm a Lamborghini. I'm a Hollywood star. I'm a little bit tipsy when I drive my car. I'm expensive sushi. I'm a cute, huge yacht. I'm a little bit single, even when I'm not. I've heard it in with Hollywood. Um, how is that? Just being like, <laughs> this is a song that one is like, 
people are downloading, people are singing it. Kelly Clarkson is doing it on her show. That's that, that's like an insane. That was a turn of wild, wild day in the life of old Annie Murphy to like <laughs> go in and have Kelly Clarkson be like, "I'm just so nervous. I'm so sorry if I messed this up." But I just me being like, "What are you talking about right now, Kelly Clarkson?" Um, when I read in the script that Alexis performs a little bit, of Alexis. There was no other information, but I think I realize now that I, I got really jealous of Noah the previous season for arranging his version of Simply the Best. Yeah. And so I went to Dan and I was like, I want to write this. And not realizing at the time that I am not a musician and Noah very much is a musician, <laughs> but somehow Dan agreed to let me do it. And so I got together with two of my best, best buds, Nick and Menno, who are thankfully musicians. And so I wrote the lyrics and they wrote the musical beeps and boops and producing stuff. And we knew that it was supposed to be funny. We knew that it's supposed to be kind of a parody, but we all really, really wanted to write a banger. Yeah. Like really, oh, yeah. really, really badly. A tardy for the party. Yeah. Correct. Yes. Perhaps. <laughs> yes, you're, you're completely, completely correct. So, so we kind of pulled out all the stops and all the pop hooks and we ripped off Work Bitch by Britney mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then kind of sat back and crossed our fingers and okay so this is a crazy story that happened recently I was in New York and I was meeting a friend at a drag bar and one of the queens came over to me and was like just so you know I do a DJ set and I'm about to do it and I play a little bit of Lexus and it goes into Work Bitch and I thought she was going to be like, and if you don't want me to do it, don't worry about it. And she's like, and I'm going to do it. Um, <laughs> it was a threat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So if you want to leave or whatever, if you're going to be uncomfortable, like, just I want you, I want to give you a heads up. Just so you know, bitch, I'm about to yeah. play your yeah. voice. <laughs> exactly. So if you don't want to be here, Adam Driver, get out. Yeah, yeah. Get out. <laughs> I just Adam Driver, that's good. Um, and so I was like, no, I'm obviously staying for this. And so she put on the song and the whole club was singing a little bit of Lexus as my friend walked in to meet me. And I was like, I swear to God, <laughs> I have not paid anyone off. This is just a weird, weird thing that's happening in life right now. So, But it, yeah, people are actually listening to it as a real song. Is that yeah. like an addictive feeling, though? Like, do you want to go into like a Macy's and be like, just be, just play it a little bit while I'm walking in the background? <laughs> no. No, I don't want that. <laughs> Okay, we have to talk about this new show called Kevin Can Fuck Himself, mm-hmm. which I heard about for the first time, I want to say, like a year and a half ago. Yeah. AMC takes a long time to, like, develop things, is my, what I gather. Can we say fuck on this show? Yeah. We sure can. Oh, I've been yeah. holding back. I said heck instead of hell at one point. Oh, I my God. Not, it felt very weird. Like okay. a 50s an, TV ooh. star. No, we okay. wanted Annie unfiltered. Okay. Well, here I am now. Here we go. <laughs> fuck this shit. Let's do it. Um, which, from what I gather, is a saucy send-up of a, a situation that occurred on the show Kevin Can, can Wait. wait where an actress was fired sort of unceremoniously and then replaced. With yes. Leah Remini. That's yes. Which, I mean, I would love to be replaced on this show by Leah Remini. And your lips <laughs> to God's ears. Uh, tell me the show is as uh, saucy as I imagined it is. Well, I think and hope that it is going to be. We're in super, super early stages. Yeah. Um, but it sounds – I'm so excited to do it because it is from the perspective of the sitcom wife, the kind of downtrodden, more submissive wife. And – she she's at a low point, realizes that her life is not what she wanted it to be, realizes that she's kind of been gaslit by her husband for many years and um, goes from there and finds herself. But it's shot. Um, it will alternate between uh, multicam and single cam. Oh, right. So it goes back and forth between the two worlds. When she's by herself, it's single cam. But when she's 
in the world of her husband. It's kind of the sitcom setup. That's my version of The Wizard of Oz, like the color in black and white. Like which part of my life is single cam, which part is multi cam? Well, yeah. There you go. Yeah. So so yeah, I'm I'm really excited. It's like it's going to be kind of dark and gritty and funny and. Uh, I'm really excited to. I'm terrified to start. I feel like already the new kid, like at school, going into school on her first day, being like, I don't know anyone. But I think it's gonna be it's gonna be really fun. Well, I think we're all really excited to see you do everything. To be Thanks. honest, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, and thank you for being here. Oh man, yeah. well, thanks for having me. This I mean, really, thanks really for nice. fucking being here. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> and also, thanks for the show that will live on forever. I really yes. feel like it's one of these office-like shows that people will just watch for years and years and years. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Lady Gaga dropped her newest single, Stupid Love, last week, and it's gotten some mixed attention, unless, of course, you're a gay man on my Twitter timeline, in which case you cannot shut up about it. You fall at the altar. <laughs> and the song cannot be denied. This has led us to think about Lady Gaga just as an important pop personality, or wonder if she is an important pop personality, and question, what do we want from this woman? Is she giving it to us? And are we excited for this damn album? Chromatica? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we're we're so excited. Where so is you both the are album. so excited. So we need we the damn album. album. We're so excited. <laughs> That's in April coming out, right? Yes. Yeah, mid-April or It's like dropping that. right as I'll be going to Coachella. So Oh, you about to have a lit, lit April. Bitch, I'm going to be in the desert. <laughs> We're going to be blaring Chromatica. Rainbow. Not for the gay of it. The for the redact- Lady Gaga. The redacted will be flowing. Got it. <laughs> Look. I am a huge Lady Gaga fan, and I always have been, and I feel like we're finally back. Like, we're really, really back to the synth-pop sounds, the ones that I, like, fell in love with her for, the fame sounds, the fame monster. But this feels a little bit more mature, even, like, pulled back. This is weird to call this song stripped down, but it feels stripped down in still a fun way. So well, you are specifically... lyrics. <laughs> you are specifically standing this song. You love this song. I like this song a yeah, lot. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's definitely like a go work out bop. It's definitely like a go be out with your friends bop. It's not necessarily a play at the house, at the uh-huh. crib alone. I don't think so, but it's definitely an environmental song. I have been at home being like, freak out, freak out, oh freak out, God. freak out. Look at me. I love it. Yeah. I really do like the song. For me, it's a six. Louis, I I knew it was about to be some bullshit with you. (laughs) What is going on? Okay, I I think it's okay. Let let me just say, so it's a delirious song, which is a good brand for her. This is the Lady Gaga I like. Like, I love Applause, which has that, you know... um, Applause is iconic. Kooky, Mm -hmm. B-52's energy. Well, it's a Leo anthem. Sure. Of course, we love it. I like the brazen uh, confidence of that song. And and that's a different vibe than what we usually get on the radio, right? Which is still in this, like, Halsey whispering us to sleep over ambient noises thing. Mm -hmm. Or everything sounding like a Post Malone song. That's even more accurate, correct? That said, it feels to me a little bit like Perfect Illusion in that it's delirium in place of a great hook. 
I don't know that I'm really singing stupid love to myself out on the street, even though if I heard it on a treadmill, it would power me for days. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I'm in between the appreciation of it as a pure Jolt Cola boost Mm -hmm. and it not having the essential, like, of poker face that makes it so eternal. I feel you. And maybe, this is just me trying to understand where you're coming from. Yeah. Maybe it was a mistake to release that as the first single. Maybe. But I think... Just to give you some perspective, this is going to be a narrative album. Like, I think that these are going to be, from what I've read online, because I've gone through so many theories, that there's going to be maybe 12 tracks that represent each chromatic color on the chromatic scale, and this is the pink one. And maybe this is supposed to be the fluffy, once again, saccharine, not very meaningful song, but it's supposed to be fun and light, and that has value too. You know the what Amy I mean? Amy Joe Johnson, uh, yeah. pop tracks. Oh, I very good. Yes. We'll say that. I don't find it meaningless. You know, I love the video. Um, when added to it, I feel like it's euphoric, but I also feel like it's sentimental. I think it feels like a obvious throwback to, you know, the first era of videos, like mm-hmm. Just Dance, Love Game. Like, it feels like Gaga could have spent millions on some insane video ad. Instead, she is in front of a green screen, and it's just... Um, and it's shot on an iPhone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and people just, just people having it looks, fun, it looks you know? Like and it is. It, it is. literally is. Yeah, it's Apple-sponsored, yeah. Yeah, it feels like it is a love letter to her fans. To honestly. pop music. Do really? you really think the video is good? I don't. I, I think the video is fun. I hated the video. You notice how you've come down from loving the video to it's fun? I said I love the With song. reservation. I said I love the, the song. song, and I think the video is fun. It could have been a better video, but I really enjoy the choreography. I love seeing her and her like um, two steps behind um, choreography. Oh, my <laughs> God. <laughs> Where she like doesn't find her footing it's, at all, it's but accessible. Like, stumbles into it. It's accessible choreography. She's like a calf. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing with the, why I don't like the video. Lady Gaga has a budget, girl, use it. And if you're not going to use it and it's going to be this lo-fi thing, lean into that. But it was this middle-of-the-ground thing and it just didn't look it didn't That look just good. It didn't look cheap enough almost yeah, for yeah. I think what the vibe of the song is. Like this no pretenses stupidity, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. to quote, yes. Also, somebody- I was very early f- Spice Girls. I have a question also. <laughs> is Stupid Love meant to be a retread of bad romance, literally bad romance, stupid love? Like they're the same sort of phrasing? Possibly. Yeah. You know, I will also not that bad romance makes any literal sense either if you read the lyrics, but no. Uh, I will say that what I would have loved in the video is if those extended teasers that she released were part of the video. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Instead, they were sort of truncated. You know, she had sort of like acting, I'm acting moments that were released as teasers for the video before, and then they weren't included in the I didn't see video. the teasers. Yeah, I didn't see any teasers for the video. They're just like very dramatic. Her like stopping a fight. Like the okay. fight that she stops in the video, it was extended, and mm. it's yeah, a lot of just weird Lady Gaga. things. Lady yeah. Gaga isms, you know. But I will also appreciate the restraint of not releasing a seven hundred minute video like Mary the Night, which is, <laughs> which is one of the worst videos. But I do of hers. She really and, did go to like a um, smooth criminal Michael Jackson place yeah. where it's just like uh, there's a whole storyline about what now? Have you tried putting on Mary the Night at a pregame? It's like, oh, no. bitch, where is the song? Yeah. It, 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 it is two hours of American Horror Story Asylum <laughs> and then here is the song that you actually want to listen to. I also have to question her costume in the video. Which, which one? In Stupid Love. Which to me looks like you forgot you have to attend a Halloween party and you threw together a bathing suit top, 
some vinyl you found around the and house, IKEA mirrors, like stickers on, on your you, face, yeah. and hopefully nobody questions what you are. So a gay getting dressed for Halloween. <laughs> yes, right. Oh, I've done this before. I'm not saying I haven't. <laughs> it just seems it, it, it's the look seemed a little half baked to me, like vaguely alien, yeah. vaguely Coachella, but nothing 100. percent I'm happy to agree with her that Joanne is dead. Yeah. I mean, we can all agree. I Joanne, thought, I dead. Thought, I thought Joanne was a great album. Disagree. Terrible. What did you dislike about Joanne? I, I just think th- that you would, of all people, really enjoy Joanne because it, it felt almost like, you know, sort of a Carpenter's throwback. It was very lyric heavy. You know, it, it sort of had a lot slow, of- Slow, laboring. Slow, <laughs> like- slow burning vibes to it. And you know who's really good at being sentimental? The Carpenters. Uh, Lady Gaga well, meanwhile. Well, more. Yeah, <laughs> once upon a time. Jesus. But Lady Gaga <laughs> I always think when Lady Gaga goes for like deepness in lyrics or in performance, she always feels like she's accelerating too hard. It, it feels a little like a stretch to me. Whereas I, I, again, I prefer the delirium side of Gaga. I prefer the, you know, the wackiness because I do think there is a legitimate and authentic strangeness to her mm-hmm. so when that when then that that's expressed i'm usually all for it i mean i really sort of like the but like ao do you think that's a good song that was like the best song on that album and i felt like it was like an, diamond a, diamond heart was actually the best song on that album but continue. just feel they, they felt like pretty good pink songs to me mm. pink her her stadium rock that yeah. straight women listen to i'm sorry straight women uh <laughs> i just <laughs> i have not encountered a pink song in the wild recently that I would say enlivens me. Have you been to a CVS? Because they're playing all the time. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just think that that is, to compare it to a pink song is, there there was more energy in like Diamond Heart and like Dancing in Circles. Like th- Those are jams. Do you know what also happened that unfortunately cast the pall in this situation is so the Gaga song came out and then immediately after another song by another artist came out that I was obsessed with and it made me realize oh maybe I was pretending I liked the Gaga song more than I actually did if you guys have heard Spotlight by Jesse Ware yes oh, I, Jessie I, know, I love Ware. him Miss Jesse Ware who was a like British uh, she has sort of an there's an ominous quality to her music but it, it's really beautiful She's and beautiful. now it's super danceable yeah uh, it, it's like that kind of um I'll call it a groggy disco song, but it's it's way it's way more um, bouncy than she routinely is. It is so good. If we could all listen to Jesse Wear Spotlight this coming summer, I would so be into that. I love the song, but I also love Stupid Love. I mean, that's nice that you like both things and just don't question it or have any morals just in your regular life. This has nothing to do with this conversation. No, dad and dad are. Fighting. I know. <laughs> I heaven forbid that I like two songs at once. Uh, but I, I heard this other don't song pick and I realized songs oh. against each other, Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Um, but that song to me is like a nine point five, and this Lady Gaga song is a six. What is your number one favorite Lady Gaga song? Uh, Judas. You and I. Which, Judas? Judas. Talk about the delirium that I respect. But by the way, I don't like that album. To me, that is so much overproduction in place of great hooks. Whereas I thought Fame and Fame Monster were 100% amazing. I was saying that I like the melancholy side of Gaga, and I also like the insanity. And for me, Born This Way is my favorite album of hers. Yeah. Aside from the title track, which I don't listen to often, but I will say... Live, born this way is a fucking fantastic song. Mm-hmm. Mm. I, you and I, was my favorite song by her. I really, really like you and I. Probably partial because she literally screams Nebraska, Nebraska, I love you. Mm. And, Pandering, yeah, you definitely. And it hit just me. Maybe no one else, but it hit just me. And when she came to film the music video, she blocked off like a huge road uh, in kind of near Omaha. And 
look, it affected a lot of our days, but I knew that goodness was coming from it. You yeah. know what I mean? And so that, I just love that song. And it's a ballad, and she sings out, and it gives me that operatic Lady Gaga that I really, really like. That's the Lady Gaga I love. I weirdly think her, some of her best lyrics are still in Just Dance. Where Are My Keys, I Lost My Phone is so basic. It sounds Lewis, like nothing, no. and it's hilarious. What do you like? Songs... <laughs> I find there's just something to be so real and stupidly real about that. The We're, mundane? Yeah. Okay. It is always okay. just so weird. I do love that song. No, Wish it, I could shut my Playboy mouth. Funny. I love that. I, I'm just saying that it is always so, I feel like a detective just trying to parse what songs you will personally respond to. Lewis. Yeah. I know, I know I'm unknowable. Look, <laughs> artistry is often like this. <laughs> the muses and I have a strange relationship, and you're not invited. Mm, mm. No. Yes, Hercules. <laughs> um. I think my top five are uh, Just Dance, Poker Face, So Happy I Could Die. So Happy I Could Die is a beautiful song. Love that song. Dancing in the club with a bottle of red wine. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's the AO I like. Wait, were mm. you guys art pop fans? I, I love, love art pop. Okay, yeah. Yes, mo- for the most part. Mm. I love applause, do what you want, we always talk about on this show. Aguilera version, of course. And The uh, R. Kelly version is great. I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, like, yes, we've quality is quality. We know, we know. We, we've we expunged know it from history. It's not online anymore. We can listen to the Christina version, but it is not better than the R. Kelly version, which means that she should have made the version with Christina in the first place, and they did as good as the R. Kelly version. There we have it. G-U-Y, the Christina, I love. Because the Christina version just feels like an afterthought. Mm-hmm. G-U-Y. Mm-hmm. Good song. Great video. Yeah. Manicure. Yeah, but I do, but she... like things like Gypsy, I'm like, girl, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Gypsy is where you jump off. Yeah. I think Gypsy's okay. Art Pop has a lot of really great songs on it, but it also has some that feel like she was too gaga. If that makes sense. Guy, that, that, that was, that was <laughs> I get why some people don't respond to Art Pop, because it was the moment I felt like she started feeding into I'm Lady Gaga, Mm -hmm. you know? And it was, like, too much insanity. I mean, that's sort of every artist goes through that, you know? It was like, I don't listen to all them albums when Prince became a symbol. Uh Mm Uh-huh. Right, right. But I actually agree (laughs) with you. That album, to me, felt like there were... I'm not saying this happened, but it felt like people were writing songs in her voice. Like, Donatella, it's like we already knew she was like obsessed with high fashion. Yeah. You know, so it, uh, that felt redundant to right. me. Because we already had the song Fashion, yeah. exclamation point, which was on the Confessions of a Shopaholic soundtrack. What do you mean? Deep cut. The song Fashion by Gaga. Fashion. Oh, yeah, no. I'll, looking oh. good and feeling fine. Looking good and feeling fine. That was on Confessions of a Shopaholic. Oh, I thought oh. Confessions of a Shopaholic was much older than that, but no. No. Got it. Demo originally done by Heidi Montag. <laughs> my favorite singer yeah <laughs> written, by, written by red music. one obviously red this one where also, did you go this is also he the first starships. song <laughs> by the way that stupid love is the first song that she's done with max martin that is really oh, crazy you know what that explains a lot to well the sound. she explained before i think that when she had come out too she wanted to build her own sort of signature sound and not really go with what was au courant of the pop movement at the time. And so she sort of strayed away from the Max Martin era. But this song is now that he's kind of falling down. Not falling down. I mean he ain't falling down, baby. Yeah, (laughs) now that he's not as prevalent. He definitely hasn't been as prevalent. But I He's working with the pop girls. He's working with Normani. I believe he's maybe doing some stuff with Dua. I know this is a conversation that you wanted to get into, but like doesn't that kind of show how 
we really expect these artists to kind of be able to reinvent themselves frequently. Mm-hmm. You know I have a problem where I can't let go of this Madonna person. So Yeah, yeah. well, Madonna is reinvention. You know, mm-hmm. like she, I don't even know who Madonna really is. I don't think any of us do. But also it does stand to reason that Maybe some artists shouldn't have to reinvent themselves, you know. And I think that we oh, always called look. Men. We get well, the yeah. same thing from them all the time, yeah. and no one questions anything. Well, yeah. I mean, I think Madonna is sort of that prototype of someone like always reinventing themselves, you know. Obviously, because it was a male-dominated music industry, and a lot of the criticism that she got as a woman and as she aged sort of forced her to reinvent herself. But I don't think that every artist, particularly female pop artists, should constantly try to reinvent themselves because I don't think that it is beneficial to every artist and I mean speaking of male artists you know I mean we saw when um, Justin tried to stop aping black music and go to the woods and it was like no one wants to listen to you when you're white (laughs) (laughs) so now he has that new song with SZA for um, trolls world domination or whatever Um, and it's a bop Oh, it's good? I haven't heard yeah, of it. Yeah, because it's basically Rock Your Body. Yeah. But with SZA. Congrats to SZA. Yes. Yeah. She's great. The great. video's hot, too. All right, all right. I'll get on that. Yeah. It pains me to say. Thankfully, I love you in pain, so that's great. Yeah. Pain is love. Ja Rule. <laughs> <laughs> Remember when Juvenile was back in the news for two seconds with Tom Steyer this week? That oh, my God. Was... Between him and Flavor Flav, like, yeah. why? Yeah, Flavor Flav is here. Embarrassing. Yeah. Why? It was embarrassing. Tom Steyer... You had, Specifically you, that song and artist. What's going on, Tom Steyer? You had Tom Steyer and Madam Steyer doing, I don't know, white convulsing on stage <laughs> to back that ass up. And I was like, look at your life. Yeah. You know, look at your <laughs> choices. You were supposed to still be breaking it down for the 9-9 and the 2000. And that was breaking it down for the... Yeah, somebody's first communion party. For, for, for the reconstruction and the Jim Crow. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know, but by the way, out. until I s- saw the title written out, that it actually is, because obviously it's back that thing up on radio, yes, and that it's back Z. that as The up. double Z. Yeah, that can go over your head. I'm surprised. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yes, because you never actually listen to the album 400 Degrees. I was say, well, I, I, haven't, I have to say I haven't opened the vinyl liner notes to Juvenile. You're right. Yeah. Which, Juvenile, the artwork on that album, untouched. Untouched. Untouched, unmatched, just, and it's coming uh, back. And I Juvenile would even on say, Fire is a song. <laughs> I would even say Lady Gaga's artwork that she's released for Chromatica is inspired by that era of just like, clip art and then you drag it on and you put your face next to it and that's it. I miss that era of pop I love and that hip-hop. era. Yeah. I love it. It's gleamy. It's shiny. It's fun. Yeah. I'm loving that you only ever saw it just written as back that thing up. Oh, you know I'm an incredibly pure person. How from did, a pure how place. How did you sing it? <laughs> uh, rarely. <laughs> By pure he means Caucasian. Yeah. <laughs> Lewis, I'm going to sing you some juvenile songs to listen to. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. you need to Is know that, that what I've been missing, me, Lewis? Yeah. He needs to... <laughs> what if he loves juvenile? <laughs> <laughs> he comes back and he's entirely changed. Lewis comes in next week like, G-Code? <laughs> yeah. Big, big white tees, big pants. <laughs> I will say about this stupid love video, by the way, that look you're talking about, that um, obviously green screen place, it does make me nostalgic for that era of music videos where everything looked like the Whenever Wherever Shakira video or What About Us by Brandy, where it was just, oh, you're, yes. you're, you're just singing in front of what looks like an awful screensaver. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bring that back. Okay. All right, when we're back, keep it.
And we're back with our favorite segment of the episode. It is Keep It. Lewis, go ahead. It's going to be a weird one. Go Get for ready. It. Well, we know you. We know you, yeah. Okay. This is what I expect. I want weird like, from you. Uh, oh, uh, thank uh, you. 117 yeah. episodes of weird Keep It's from Lewis. <laughs> oh, stay weird. Like, <laughs> I love that. You're Portland. Like that guy who won the Oscar for Imitation Game. Stay weird. Yeah, yeah. yeah you're Erie, Indiana over here. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my, again, my Keep It is strange. Uh, first of all, R.I.P. to James Lipton, yes. who was the host of Inside the Actors Studio, and who did not get enough credit for being so old for so long. I this know. man died at 93. <laughs> and he's one of those people who always had like a bright umber beard. So you never guess, you know, you would never guess that he was that old. And no one ever mentions like the fact that like his iced tea was bomb. Oh, oh, my, oh God. my God. Lipton, if you had to rank iced teas, right up there. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, he was. Uh, Little known fact, married to the woman who is Miss Scarlet on the 70s clue box with the long, long hair. That was his wife. Mm. Just good to know. The things you know, man. I know. I just, I don't know where you put it. I, I don't know, know where you put it. Uh, why did I keep it? <laughs> um, All Lewis does is have sex and play clue. <laughs> At, simultaneously. <laughs> I don't hate it. Um <laughs> Uh, my keep it is to celebrity interviewers who can't get actors to be personal just by asking about the art form. What was so awesome about Inside the Actors Studio, and I saw Billy Eichner tweet something about this the other day too, is that just down the line he was asking actors about their filmography, one movie at a time. Um, sometimes people were so legendary that he couldn't get to all of them, but it was usually pretty comprehensive. And I always found that just by asking about, you know, what it was like getting through a scene or preparing for a scene or, you know, going to acting school, he always ended up getting the most personal stories out of them. For instance, um, Jodie Foster one time was on, and I think it was an audience member who actually asked it, but he he had asked about a certain movie, I think from the early 80s, and she just immediately opened up about John Hinckley Jr. and that whole incredible scandal that she's been rightfully somewhat cagey about for most of her life. Um, I just think that acting itself and the, the act of making entertainment is such a personal endeavor anyway. It requires an actor to go through a lot of self-evaluation, so it's always intensely personal. And I think because of that, that show has ended up being a real resource for me when I want to look up an actor and really get to know them. So uh, RIP to him and keep it to people who can't find the you know rad personal anecdotes via the work itself. Mm-hmm. I mean, unfortunately- so take that. I don't know who I'm, which specific celebrity journalist I'm shaming at this point. It's okay. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, we're sort of in the era too of canned interviews. You know, yeah. you sort of have to ask a celebrity about their project and sort of what's going on, and that is always going to be the same response. I mean, like we interview people all the time, and not just on Keep It. You know, so like we've experience that you know it's like oh this person is saying the exact same thing that they've told 50 other people yeah it's worse if you're at a junket too uh, and i think inside the actor studio was lovely because it felt like a safer space for an actor going in because they knew they were going to talk about acting i mean that's also part of it too you know like an actor knows where what they're going to get when they go to inside the actor's studio totally you know, yeah. they're going there to talk about their acting i they're, do want to say they're not going on E to talk about their acting. Right, right. Yeah, it, it 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 was personal without being salacious, and that's what I really liked about it. I do want to say my favorite episodes of Inside the Actor Studio are you can't really interview only legends forever. There aren't there are only so many. So eventually he would get to people who had only had a couple of great movies in their filmography, but he still had to ask about a whole bunch. 
So like Jennifer Lopez was on one time. And, you know, you ask about Out of Sight and Selena. This is, of course, pre-Hustlers. And I remember at one point he turns and he goes, and then you did U-Turn. <laughs> As if that was some, you know, like Oscar-winning momentous movie in her filmography. And she had to talk about it with the kind of gravitas that you would afford a Ben-Hur or something. Uh, so that was always uh, very, very funny to me. I give gravitas to every Jennifer Lopez performance. I can think of a couple you shouldn't. Okay. What about her cameos in Janet Jackson music videos? Oh, yeah. No, that should have been discussed. I don't <laughs> know if it was. That should have been the first thing. Jennifer Lopez, let's discuss That's the Way Love Goes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would love, you know, like Made in Manhattan, the Gravitas. Oh, you think? Monster-in-law, chef's kiss. You will not be using Jane Fonda against me today. <laughs> Wanda Sykes is in that, too. What a strange movie. It's a beautiful, beautiful movie, mm-hmm. I think you mean. Michael Vartan. I miss him a little bit. What did we do with him? Bradley Cooper said, only one of us will be famous <laughs> from Alias, and he shoved him down the stairs. Oh, is that how it was? <laughs> Saw him and floored it. Ah. My Keep It This Week goes to homophobic black Twitter's reactions to Dion Cole's outfit at the NAACP Awards. Dion Cole, if you guys don't know who this is, is a very, very... Funny stand up, and he plays Charlie on Blackish, ABC mm-hmm. shows Blackish. Now, he showed up wearing, and I wish you guys could see it, this beautiful Gucci suit, and it was dark velvet. It actually kind of looked like this <laughs> around us. Um, he looked stunning. He looked absolutely amazing. And I that man shocks me every time. I'm like, you are like 50. Why do I want you so bad? But uh, I would do anything for that man. And he wore this outfit and posted it and then all of black Twitter kind of not all of black Twitter but the homophobic black Twitter side really started coming for him which is ironic because they would be mad if well, they started coming you have to, you have to include that the outfit has bell bottoms yes that's, that's what we're getting there we're yes. getting there so the outfit does have bell bottoms now everyone responded with, to him with that's gay like what a gay outfit to be wearing which again clothes being gay what and Hillary Duff would tell you that that is a wrong thing to say. That's right. Yeah. Um, also specifically, yeah, I mean, if you want one quality in outfit, yeah. I feel like gay is pretty in the upper echelons of things you want. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know what I'm saying? I'm sorry, I, I was also referencing a commercial I'm sure you have never seen. I was going to say, what did Hillary do? It's, it's Hillary Duff has an old commercial where she tells people to stop saying stuff is gay. Oh, how old was she? Was this young Hillary? No, this was like Liz McGuire era Hillary. Stop saying that's gay. Black Twitter to Dion <laughs> Cole. But so he wears this outfit and then it really made me reminiscent for a time where we had like someone like Prince or Michael Jackson or Teddy Pendergrass. These people who would deliberately wear very effeminate clothing and be these masculine black men to a certain extent. And Dion Cole, I think, is someone who is bringing that back. You have people like Billy Porter and, of course, RuPaul, these people who will dress effeminately and it's beautiful. Like, yes, it feels those like two are actual faggots, though. <laughs> Also, I just feel like in general, uh, men's fashion has run, like, for instance, super colorful recently. Just Mm -hmm. like menswear is a lot more playful than it used to be. So attacking clothes is just boringly retrograde. I know. know. Get over pants? Can you get over pants? Find something to do. Well, see, part of it is I'm sure there were people who had those critiques of Michael Jackson and Prince, too. I mean, I probably remember. We all remember hearing them growing up. All of our uncles and We just didn't have social media then. To tell us about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, now you have Twitter where you just get the opinions of many idiots. Too many people. Too many idiots. Get, not me at the moment. Chirping on the bird app. What do you mean? What I happened? said keep it to the bird app recently. What happened? I'm just off. 
Oh, you're off of it? Yeah. Mine got taken away recently I, for like... Oh, yes. I, I did not have a wild tweet that got me removed. Oh, okay. FYI. I just, I just wanted a break. That's good. The, yeah. the app's deleted or the account's gone? I de- deactivated the account. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, I have the distinct we'll feeling you'll be back. She's only on we'll Instagram be... right now. Wow. Yeah. I don't know. I'm living, laughing, and loving, Lewis. That's why the sound waves have been <laughs> calm. The timeline has been that. calm. You're certainly laughing. <laughs> yeah. And I'm living. Okay. And stupid loving. Mm, on the fence. Well, I don't know if you are. I'm dead, actually. Okay, yeah. And loving dead, it. Dead, laughing, and hating. That's and what lo- I think you're doing. I'm dead and loving it. Blackula? Dead and loving it? <laughs> I could be Dracula. I don't have to be Blackula because I'm black, Lewis. Okay, well. I, don't call I you, thought it was a good joke, Lewis. Don't <laughs> let him take that from you. I don't call you Whiteula. <laughs> Crackula. He's already Romanian. It would be, it would be Crackula. Crackula, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's my keep it. Leave Dion Cole alone. Let that man wear whatever he wants. But speaking of people wearing things, my keep it is to the influx of people wearing surgical masks in public. What the fuck is wrong with you? One, you don't need to wear a surgical mask if you're not sick. There are many doctors who will tell you that. Two, the mask you should be wearing if you want to protect yourself from the coronavirus is called a respirator. But also you have to be trained into how to use a respirator. So if you're just picking up a medical respirator and putting one on, you may be using it wrong and trapping in all the air that you don't actually need to be breathing. So congrats. Um, Two, every person I've seen wearing a surgical mask, like I was traveling this weekend and the previous weekend, they take them off sometimes or like they're sometimes like off and on. It's like, so you're touching your face. So more frequently than congrats. you would have you not worn the yeah. mask. And yeah. Also, Con- people don't acknowledge that you're supposed to change those masks every like 20 minutes. Yeah. So they- you are wearing this mask. You're touching your face all the time. Why the fuck are you wearing it now? Also, I have just been taking more stock in how often we should be washing our hands. And the way people mm. don't wash their hands is appalling. This I whole mean, thing on Twitter recently of people not washing their hands when they're at their house. That's something that I saw. Yeah. Guys, what? Why are you hands, washing your hands at home? Hands are disgusting. Like, yeah. when you eat, when you go to the bathroom, it's like, wash your fucking hands my, at home. Wash your hands when you get home. My thing about washing hands is it's a pleasure to wash your hands. Like, oh, my <laughs> hands are clean now. Like, what a good feeling for me. I feel like going about my day in a new, refreshed way. To not wash your hands just feels strange. It's like, enjoy. Yes. Also, I, I mean, mean, within reason, don't wash your hands all the time. <laughs> but yes. <laughs> Adrian Monk. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, create some habits. (laughs) Uh, I will say one of the grossest things, too, is just, like, going out. Because, you know, I mean, we watch Drag Race on Friday night in West Hollywood. And it's just being reminded now with the heightened sense of making sure you're washing your hands longer. The amount of people who would just, like, go to the bathroom in bars, especially guys, like, they're just going to pee at a urinal. And then they will leave and not wash their hands. Right, yeah. The disgustingness. That that has. This has to be the, a mostly male problem. Yes. The the contagion that that has. Yes. The <laughs> outbreak that that has. One more. The international <laughs> viral. International yeah. something. The, the viral implications that this has. <laughs> nice work. <laughs> Contagion, what a crazy movie that has everybody yeah. in it. And it's but I think it's only iconic for Gwyneth's death face. Which by the way, she has two famous death faces in movies now, that and seven. Yeah. Pick your favorite. Wow. I'll make a Twitter poll. Seven. You, oh, you would prefer seven. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Hello. 
Speaking of other contagions, uh, Outbreak. Never seen it. Mm, that is a movie that has Dustin Hoffman, Morgan Freeman, and Kevin Spacey. Right. All those, I think they were the outbreak. That reminds me of the, yeah, <laughs> that time of all those Irwin, Irwin Allen disaster movies where they would have 15 Oscar winners in them who each had like one scene apiece. Yes. You know? Yeah. Like, oh, here's, um, whatever, in the swarm, here's Olivia de Havilland at age 3,000 still yeah. running from bees. Yeah, but yeah. knowing what we know now, those three in that movie. Oh, those three specifically. Those three yeah. specifically, I just mean. Do you I know mean, what I was just thinking about, speaking of weird groups of actors? And also Renee Russo. Right. Just trying to save herself on set, I'm sure. <laughs> uh. um, the 1995 Academy Awards, the winners were, Best Picture was Braveheart, so Mel Gibson. Yep. Best Actor, Nicolas Cage. Mm-hmm. Best Actress, Susan Sarandon. Best mm-hmm. Supporting Actor, Kevin Spacey. And Best Supporting Actress, Mira Servino. Do the math on what all of those people mean now in terms of politics or the Me Too movement or I think not the Space Me Too movement. I think doing really well. Oh, yeah, you think? <laughs> I think he's thriving. This yeah. might be his peak. I just have never seen a more chaotic group. No shade specifically to Miro Sorvino, but what a chaotic group 25 years later that we should all reflect on. I was recently talking with people about that Oscars just because, one, it's the year that Babe was nominated. Correct. For Best Picture, which is... Wild, because we all know that Babe 2, Pig in the City, was the better one. That is such a zany movie. I mean, ever th- there's like a hundred thousand think pieces on how that's secretly it. like the triumph of the 90s or whatever. But but um, that is such a weird year for me when I just like looked it up recently because it was like, uh, yeah, obviously Braveheart. But I was like, that is specifically one of those years where I was like, who the fuck was watching movies? Because it's like... Oh, we're nominating this. We're nominating Babe. We're nominating Il Postino. I'm like, <laughs> you know, obviously the Academy hates, you know, um, horror. So like, but seven that year, oh, right, right, right. Heat. I was just saying. I feel like that's one of the wilder years where oh, I, feel I like see. Yeah, his a lot of great is... movies were ignored. Yeah. Oh, Louis, his point is coronavirus. Okay, okay. yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's how we got here. Anyway, surgical masks. Don't wear them. Don't wear them. Uh I think that's our show. It is. Yes, that is. Yeah. Well, thank you to Annie Murphy for being here. Love her. Yes. We stand. Always. Yeah. Um, We'll see you next week. Bye. Keep It is a product of Crooked Media. Caroline Rustin is our producer. It's Caroline like the princess. The one you don't care about. Our editor is Bill Lance and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thanks to our digital team, Elijah Cohn and Nadine Melkonian for filming and editing our video content every week. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.